take your seat. Amen. We have the privilege of singing to God, which is worship, or at least one aspect of worship, singing to him in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And we even spoke to him as we prayed. And now it's time for the Lord to speak to us through his word. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn to Matthew chapter 1? Matthew chapter 1. And if I had to sum this sermon up that I'm about to preach, I would sum it up this way. As you seek to be healed or delivered from anything, whatever it may be, as you seek to be healed and or delivered, don't leave Jesus out. That is the message today. Be sure to always include the Lord Jesus in everything that you do. Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 16, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now, verse 21 of Matthew 1, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So if you're visiting with us today, or if you're watching online, perhaps for the first time, we are in a series called Sexual Healing, Walking with Jesus Through Sexual Struggles, Questions, and temptations. I'm so glad he walks with us, that he talks with us, and as we sang today, that he tells us that we are his own. Even when we are not faithful, he remains faithful. He's a good God, and he's worthy not only to be praised, but to be lived for. So today, with the help of the Holy Spirit and your prayers, let's talk on the subject of dysfunction dysphoria, and a deliverer. Dysfunction, dysphoria, and a deliverer. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word. We need to see Jesus today. Holy Spirit, thank you that you came to bring glory to Jesus. May we see Jesus in a way in which we've never seen him before, even as we go back in the annals of time and look at one of the kings in the lineage of our master. Lord, help us to learn today, not just to acquire intellectual uh, uh, properties and facts and truths, but Lord, help us to learn so that we might live the way you've called us to live. Lord God, may we not just be hearers of what's going on, but may we be doers as well. And Lord, if this word is not specifically for us, may we listen realizing that it might be a word that you want to speak through us to our neighbors, to our friends, to our families, to our coworkers. Because so many people have so many questions today surrounding sexuality and gender and purpose. So thank you, Lord, that you told us to always have an answer for the reason of the hope that's in us. It's not just about going to heaven, but it's about living like heaven until we get there. So help us to be ready, ministers of the gospel, able ministers of your word. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray and ask it all. Amen and amen. My wife is marvelous. My wife is amazing. And she works hard. And if I'm not careful, I will take her greatness for granted. 
the fact that she can churn these books out the way in which she does. And, and I see how much work she puts into the writing and the research to make sure that what she is saying is in agreement with Holy Writ. And to see this book that's coming out this week uh, to prepare for the Christmas season to give not only us but the world another representation of Jesus and dare I say a more accurate representation of Jesus than what we have been given uh, ever since probably 312 A.D., when Constantine made Christianity the state religion and things began to shift rapidly towards a more Eurocentric expression of Christianity. So I'm thankful to see my wife write and uh, connect with uh, uh, an illustrator who could put the people of God in a context that is more in line with history, archaeology, and biblical truth. It's my prayer that this thing becomes a bestseller. It's my prayer that uh, 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 she's everywhere. Good morning, America. I want to see her out there, man, talking about this book. And she takes time. Uh, she could not read everything today because within each page, you have scripture wrapped around various portions of the illustrations, scriptures that support her thesis in the book that Christ came from all kinds of people because Jesus came for all kinds of people. Amen. And so I'm so thankful for her. And when I think about Jesus' family tree, I, I have to first think about my own family tree. Because in this book that she writes, she takes time to talk about the ancestors of Christ and when I think about my ancestors, the people that I come from, I am grateful for the Williamson family. I can only go back about four generations. Uh, uh, there's my dad, Harold, my grandfather, Hezekiah. Uh, then there's my great-grandfather, whom I never met. His name was Happy. And then my great-great-grandfather, who obviously I did not meet, his name was Bright. So that's as far back as I can go. Uh, we trace our lineage back to South Carolina to a, uh, uh, a plantation there called the Oakland Plantation. Uh, and, and after having taken a, an Ancestry.com test, I realized that like many people in here, my ancestors come from West Africa. Uh, and we came to this country by way of South Carolina, from South Carolina into Washington, D.C., and into Baltimore. And now here I am in Tennessee. I can only go back four. But what's astounding about Jesus Christ is that there are 42 generations listed here in Matthew chapter 1 as he's writing to prove that Jesus is the rightful king of Israel. Because when you read Matthew chapter 1, only David is called the king. But all of these other names here, they are kings. And we're going to talk about one today. But only David is mentioned as being the king because Jesus would sit on King David's throne. Oh, my, this is good. And when I look at my genealogy, there are no kings in my genealogy. Uh, but we did have some people who were educated in my family tree, uh, who went to college and graduated from college. We also have some entrepreneurs in my family tree, some people with business minds and people who are launching businesses to this day. And so, so we've got some wonderful people in my family tree. We've also got some preachers in my family tree. That being said, there's also another side of the family tree. Uh, uh, you ever have a bald Christmas tree? You know, where it looks good on the front side, but on the back side, it's bald. And so you turn it where the bald side faces the wall. Well, I got a bald side to my family tree that we don't like to put out there too much. But there is some alcoholism in my family tree. There's drug abuse in my family tree. There's teen pregnancy in my family tree. There is sin in my family tree. But also within my family tree is a savior. Jesus the Christ who saved folks in my family and he's the difference maker in our family. 
For even as we look at the genealogy here in Matthew, where, where, where Matthew is proving once again to his audience, which was largely Jewish Hebrew people, that Jesus Christ was the rightful king of Israel, uh, what we see here is that Jesus is in the branch of this tree that Matthew begins with Abraham. Now, if you took time to read Luke's genealogy, he takes you all the way back to Adam. But Matthew starts with Abraham and works his way all the way up to Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, and then there is Jesus. So Jesus is a branch on this tree. But if we were to go over to Isaiah chapter 11, it does say that Jesus was the branch or the shoot coming out of Jesse. But not only that, he was the root of Jesse that it says also in Isaiah chapter 11. So Jesus is a branch on the tree and he is the root of the tree. He is man and he is God and he is good. Thank you, Jesus. And so as we look at this passage, we, we, we got to be encouraged with the fact that in Jesus's genealogy, there are patriarchs. In his genealogy, there are matriarchs. In his genealogy, there are kings. And in his genealogy, there are great people. But also in his genealogy, there is a bald side as well, a broken side, because there are several sexually dysfunctional people and sexually deviant people in Jesus' genealogy. So as David is called king, you could also call him a few other things based on scripture and be accurate. So when we look at Jesus' family tree, there are bigamists, men who had two wives at the same time. There are polygamists, men who had multiple wives at the same time. We read of prostitution in his family tree, even incest in his family tree because Judah slept with his daughter-in-law to produce the twin boys in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Not only that, there is adultery, and if you were to dig deeper into David's family, there is rape. So I wonder if you were to take a moment to look at your family tree, what would you see? You see, all of us are like the moon. We have a bright side, but we also have a dark side. And our families are that way as well because there's not one perfect family on the face of the earth. And when you look at the first family, if you will, Jesus' family, it is full of imperfect people doing all kinds of imperfect and ungodly things. But once again, the good news, the good news, the good news is that Jesus came from messed up people because he came to save messed up people. Oh, I can't get a witness here today. Jesus came from sinners so that he could save sinners. It's right there in verse 21. And she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So if you're a sinner, cheer up because you qualify to be saved. But if you don't think you sin, man, you in trouble because Jesus only came to help sick people, suffering people, sinful people. I'm so glad he came. And when it says that he came to save his people from their sins, it doesn't matter what sins you've committed, Jesus can save you from. Amen. Amen. There's no asterisk in my Bible right here at verse 21. Well, he saves from sin, but you know he can't save from fill in the blank. No, no, no. He can save anybody from anything at any time because as Dottie Peoples like to sing, he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. And he's got power and ability and love and grace and mercy and blood to transform any person who comes to him by faith. Oh, yes, oh, yes. He's real. Jesus is real. You see, there are many branches on his family tree in Matthew 1. And we know more of the well-known branches like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah and King David. But there are some other branches on here that if you would take the time to peruse the Old Testament, 
and read 1 Kings and 2 Kings and 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles, you will see some jack upness in the family of Jesus Christ. I created a word. I have the freedom to do that. Jack upness tore up from the flow up in his family tree. But again, the most important branch in the tree is not David as great as he was. The most important branch in the tree is not Abraham as important as he was. The most important branch in that tree is Jesus. And I hope that he is the branch in your family tree that's the most important. But above all, he's the root in your family that holds everybody together. But I want to take a moment to look at one branch in particular today, and that is the branch of King Asa. So go with me to 1 Kings chapter 15. 1 Kings chapter 15. Oh, while I was reading this, I said this would be a good series to preach in the future because it talks about these kings. Many of them did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but there were some things they didn't completely do. You know, there was some howevers in their lives. You know, and then there were kings who did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. There are some great stories here that we can all learn from. But let's start with Asa here. He, we're going to focus on him today. Verse 9 of 1 Kings chapter 15. In the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, because there were two kingdoms, the north and the south, Israel and Judah, Asa became king over Judah, and he reigned 41 years in Jerusalem. His grandmother's name was Maacah, the granddaughter of Abishalom. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did his father David. And he banished the perverted persons from the land and removed all the idols that his father had made. Also, he removed Maacah, his grandmother, from being queen mother because she made an obscene image of Asherah. And Asa cut down her obscene image and burned it by the brook Kidron. But the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was loyal to the Lord all his days. So one of the ways we learn the Bible is by asking questions of the Bible. Then you dig in the Bible or in extra biblical resources to try to find out a sound understanding of what you just read. And so when the Bible says that when Asa became king, he banished or removed the perverted persons from the land, verse 12. So the obvious question is, who are or who were the perverted persons in the land? Well, after looking up that uh, unique Hebrew word that's mentioned several times in the Chronicles and in Kings, it is a term that means people who practice sodomy and prostitution. The perverted persons in the land were practicing sodomy and prostitution. So when he became king, he wanted to reestablish the moral credibility of the people of God. He wanted to bring holy back. I know Justin Timberlake was trying to bring sexy back, but Asa was bringing holy back. And if people did not want to submit to Yahweh and live holy as he is holy, which means set apart from the surrounding influences and practices of the uh, uh, neighboring nations, if they didn't want to be holy, then they were banished or they were told to leave. He felt he had to clean up the community. So he banished those who were perverted, those who were practicing sodomy, and those who were practicing prostitution in religious rituals. Now, I got to believe that once he did this, because if he came to the throne and perverted people were there, that means the king before him, his father, allowed the perverted people to be in the land. And if you keep on going back to Rehoboam, they allowed perverted people in the land. 
And it takes courage to stand up against the norms of society that go against the things of God. Because it's easy just to slip by, to go with the program. But Asa said, no, I love God and I know what God stands for, what he requires from his people. And I'm going to be a leader who just won't get a throne, but I'm going to open up my mouth and I'm going to legislate some things up in here. Because for Israel, unlike America, they were a theocracy. Mm -hmm. They were a theocracy. God was in control of Israel. And so the kings were to be aligned with God. And Asa said, no, no, we got to get this, this perverted stuff out of the land. And not all of God's people agreed with King Asa because they were so used to doing perverted things that perverted things became normal. I'm not trying to talk about 2022 where we've normalized perversion where we've normalized things that breaks the heart of God. In the book of Isaiah, I believe it's in chapter 5, he says, Woe to those who call good evil and those who call evil good. There's nothing new under the sun. What happened back then is happening back now, but we need some pastor asas, some Christian asas to get up and say, that is wrong. I speak the truth and I speak it in love. I have compassion for all people, but I will not compromise because I fear God more than the culture. And being a Christian, being a believer means that I don't fit into the culture anyway because Jesus says, I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. So if they hated him, they're going to hate his disciples. When's the last time somebody hated you because you spoke the truth? And they misinterpret the, the truth as hate. That's not your problem, that's theirs. Because you know your heart, you communicated truth, and you said that this stuff is perversion. Men sleeping with men is perversion. Women sleeping with women is perversion. Sodomy is perversion. And if I say it quietly, it's still perversion. If I shout it, it's still perversion. Where are the people who are going to say right is right and wrong is wrong? Asa had some backbone up in there. But not only that, he had to go up in his own house and deal with stuff. Because it's easy to talk about other people's stuff. But his grandmother was tripping. His grandmother was old and nasty. The original nasty girl was Maaka because she had built an obscene image of Asherah we see right here in scripture in verse 14. So now again, as Bible students, we ask, what is an obscene image of Asherah? Oh, if you were in Bible study Wednesday night, we gave you a preview of this, so I can't go too deep into this. But there were two main gods in the land that the other nations worshipped. Israel, Judah worshipped Yahweh, the one true and living God. Whereas the other nations worshipped a host of gods, small g. But the main two were Baal and Asherah. They were like a husband and wife, if you will. And Baal and Asherah, they had to deal with fertility. When you worship them, they would send the rain so that your crops would be fertile. And so in order to worship a fertile God, small g, people would indulge in uh, relations, sexual relations, because that is one way that fertility was expressed, was through the seed of the man, meaning the egg of the woman. So people would come together and worship around Baal and worship around Asherah. Well, Asherah was the female counterpart to Baal, and she was represented by a pole, oftentimes made of wood or made out of a tree. And it was elongated and it would sometimes have a, an image on top of it. But the point is, is that it resembled the male sex organ. So as they perverted themselves around Baal and Asherah, it was a time where people were glorifying, objectifying, and even worshiping body parts. Again, this is nasty. This is cruel. And grandma put up a phallus, if you will, in the land 
Rather than worshiping the one true God in the temple that Solomon built, here they are building places on the high places, cutting down trees, making these objects that the Israelites would go and prostitute themselves over. If you think it's far-fetched, go back into the wilderness when Aaron made the golden calf and they had an all-day orgy around the golden calf. That's what the other nations were doing. And they followed the nations. Rather than being the head, they became the tail and they were following what the world was doing. So Asa said, no, 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 we, we got to cut down grandma's image here. This Canaanite deity that was worshipped through a sacred tree or pole that oftentimes resembled a phallus. So Asa, I give you credit, my man, because he, he dealt with it at home. So I got to ask you, uh, when you think about what's in your house or what's in your family lineage, are you able to minister well and with wisdom to your own people before you try to point a finger at someone else and lovingly and wisely and compassionately speak truth to family members who are picking up trends because that's what other people are doing? It just sounds right to just do this and do that because that's what my friends and that's what the world is doing. But wait a minute, what does God have to say? Now, pastor, if you start talking about what God has to say, it makes you look like you're a legalist or something. No, I'm just trying to be an obedient, God-fearing, salt and light kind of Christian, and I'm not going to keep my mouth shut and watch my family be deceived by the wicked one. They're not going to say they never heard from me. They may not receive what I said, but they will never say nobody ever said anything to me. Now, you got to choose the right time. You know, you don't want to bust up Thanksgiving by jumping into a discussion all the time. But you want to choose the time with your family, especially with your kids. Because your kids are going to public schools. They're going out here and they're hearing things. They're seeing things. They're learning things. And they're bringing it back home. But as parents, we're the first defender and protector and teacher of the home. So we have to challenge that stuff in love, in truth, opening up the Bible and showing our children especially what is right and what is wrong. My God. So Asa was the man. However, however. King Asa, when he grew older, he relied less and less on God. You see, when he was younger, he was very successful. He prayed to God. He cried out to God. And God answered his prayers. And they were able to defeat great armies, like a, an army from Ethiopia that had 500,000 soldiers. Israel, maybe, no, they had more than that. Israel maybe had 500,000. These Ethiopians, man, they were innumerable. But God heard their prayer. The king's prayer and delivering him. But as he got older, he got a little bit more comfortable. He didn't pray like he used to pray. He started getting full of himself, thinking that he was the one that did all this and had all this success. And so he stopped relying on the Lord and relying more on politics and political connections. It's like people who start off with God, but once they get a little money, they move from God. What was up with that? Once you get a little prestige or something, you don't pray no more. You don't come to church no more. But when you broke, busted, and disgusted, we couldn't keep you out of church. But once you get into a little something, you ain't got time for God no more. That was Asa. Oh, I got to go now over to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles. Oh, boy. 2 Chronicles. I love the book. Chapter 16, verse 7. And at that time, Hananiah the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God like you used to do. Therefore, the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hand. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly, therefore from now on you shall have wars. Then Asa was angry. It should have been Asa repented. Again, that's David's heart, right? But Asa was angry with the preacher. Oh boy, is this my testimony? Uh, uh, then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him because of this. 
Did Asa repent? No. He oppressed some of the people at that time. Verse 11. Note that the acts of Asa, first and last, are indeed written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe, yet in his disease he did not seek the Lord but the physicians. So Asa rested with his fathers. He died in the 41st year of his reign. Oh boy, that's sad. Started off good, but ended poorly. Got prideful and didn't call on God for help. Thought that he could maneuver politics in order to see this nation blessed. And a preacher had to come to him and say, you are off base. And because of that, war is coming. He still did not repent. So God had to hit his feet. His feet became diseased. And unlike Job, who cried out to God when his body was hit, all my man Asa did was call up the doctors. And the doctors came, and they could not cure Asa's feet. My God. Well, Asa must have forgotten that one of God's names is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord God who heals you. But he was not looking to God for deliverance because he was so busy looking to himself. And I said before that Jesus is a savior, not only from sin, but also from sickness. Not only from sin and sickness, but from bad and destructive habits. He's just not concerned about your soul. He's concerned about your soul, mind, body, finances, family, everything. He will save you. My God. And so Jesus not only has the power to save from sin, sexual sin, but he also has the power to deliver us as I transition here, as I close, from sexual dysfunction. Asa didn't call on God, he just called on the doctors. And when I think about gender dysphoria, gender dysphoria refers to psychological distress that results from an incongruence between one's sex assigned at birth and one's gender identity. So there's this incongruence. A girl feels like a boy. A boy feels like he, he has a, he's a woman trapped inside of a man's body. So, so there's this incongruence. There's this dysphoria going on. And, and it can lead to people cutting themselves and harming themselves and even killing themselves because of the psychological distress. Because how they feel does not necessarily fit within society. And so they go about changing their names in hopes of changing their identity and, and call me a girl if I'm a boy or call me a boy if I'm a girl or call me they or them, these uh, pronouns. And so there's a lot of confusion. And I just want to say as clear as I can, Jesus saves. But if all we do is go to doctors, if all we do is go to therapists, if all we do is go to people in the clinic and we don't stop by and see Jesus, I'm talking about people who know the Lord, then we're just as unwise as Asa was, who was sick in his body but didn't call out to God. And when I see people struggling with this, they run to therapy, which is good. But as you run to therapy... Make sure you run to the altar as well. And an altar can be anywhere you meet God, anywhere you cry out to God, anywhere you say, God, help me. Instead, I see people wanting to justify it and normalize it and just accept it. That's the way I am. Well, I want to be sensitive to who you say you are. But as your pastor, I've got to remind you of who God says he is. I'm, I know what you're wrestling with. Well, I don't know it personally, but I do have sympathy and, and I do have empathy. But I also got to remind you that the devil is a liar. That the truth is found in Jesus Christ. There's no confusion in God, but Satan is the author of confusion. So as you go to a counselor, make sure you go to God. 
And as you go to a counselor, we got to check this. You need an asterisk. Here it is. Make sure the counselor has some Christian biblical principles about himself or about herself. Because a lot of times these folks will just tell you what you want to hear. But let God be true. And every man a liar. So due to pride, Asa never combined faith and medicine. He never combined faith and medicine. He chose medicine alone, and he died early. He died early. So I just want to let you know that there is a place for Jesus and doctors. There's a place for Jesus and therapy. There's a place for Jesus and a counselor. There's a place for Jesus and a pastor. Uh, many times we, we, we see folk, they come to us, they on life support. Man, man, they, they, they want us to wave our hand over them and fix it. But, but man, if you just check with us earlier or check with God's people earlier, you might not be as confused as you are. But I know how it is. You don't want to check with us because you know what we're going to say. And that ain't what you want to hear. My God. But when I go to a doctor, there's a lot of stuff I don't want to hear. But it's stuff I need to hear if I'm going to live. I think Brother Ben said that, man. We got to watch our health, right? But if I go to a doctor that just want to tickle my ears and pat me on the back and, and my stuff all off the radar, my blood pressure over here, uh, this and that is going on. Oh, you, you look fine, Mr. Williamson. I'm going to die early because the doctor didn't tell me the truth. Oh, Lord. Find you a doctor that tells you the truth, but uh, make sure you find Dr. Jesus because he will tell you the truth. We also need Jesus and an accountability partner. We need iron sharpening us. We need somebody praying for us that when we stumble, they can pick us up. We, we need accountability in this walk. The enemy's coming after you, trying to bring either more confusion based on generational issues, stuff being passed down from grandfather, great-grandfather, some confusion, and, and, and it's hitting you. But you need an accountability partner to be able to tell you that in Christ Jesus, there are no curses. In Christ Jesus, there is freedom. In Christ Jesus, there is deliverance. Now live up, Philippians chapter 3, verse 16, to what you've attained. Walk like who you are. Walk like whose you are. As Elder Sharon would say, get your mind right because the devil's coming after your mind. For as a person thinks, so are they. So you got to start thinking the way God tells you to think and stop thinking the way the world tells you to think. Stop being so quick to accept what the world says about dysphoria and accept what God says about sexuality. I know it's not popular, but it's right. And that's why they don't want to come and talk to us, but that's all right. I just want to let somebody know that don't leave God out while you're trying to figure things out. Don't leave God out while you're trying to figure this stuff out. Go to God. He is a deliverer. He is a deliverer. My God. I got to close with Matthew chapter 1. I got to go back to Matthew 1. I won't do what my pastor did last week and keep y'all till 3 o'clock. But again, that's the tree I come from. We, we, we just preach long. I don't know what it is. But that's my pastor, man. And he sent this church a love offering. That was bigger than the offering we gave to him. He just wanted to bless Strong Tower Bible Church. Sent a check for thousands of dollars to the church. So I honor my pastor and I'm grateful for men that I come from on my Baltimore side. And next Sunday, we'll be in Virginia as Dorena's father, who is also my pastor, will celebrate 40 years of pastoral ministry next Sunday. My God, that's no small thing to be in the ministry for 40 years. And I don't count on him to compromise at the end. No, he's, man, that brother is still steady, and I love the example that he sets for me. But Jesus is a deliverer. Now, now here's, I, I got to tell you this. I'm closing. That he delivers people from their sins. Amen? He delivers you from the penalty of sin. He will one day deliver from the presence of sin when we get to heaven. 
And in between times and in the meantime, he delivers from the power of sin. None of us have arrived, but we're being sanctified. We're being set apart. We're growing. We're we're becoming more like Jesus. Some of the things we used to do, we don't do anymore. Some of the things we used to say and the things we used to think, we are growing and becoming more like Christ. And it's different for everyone, but we're in the race. Is anybody in the race? Is anybody running for Jesus? Is anybody pressing towards the mark of the upward call that God has for us? We're, We're forgetting the stuff that's behind. We're reaching forward to everything that God has for me in front of me. And so I'm yielding to the Spirit of God. I'm walking with Jesus Christ. And he's changing me so much so that folks will say bro you don't look like what you've been through man I remember well it's only the mercy of God in my life I'm not better than anyone but by God's grace I'm able to do what I'm doing so we're sanctified we're being sanctified but look at Matthew chapter 1 verse 22 after he says Jesus will save, and that word save can also be translated as deliver people from their sins. Deliver. It says, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, behold, the virgin shall be with a child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So when I, when I look at this passage, I, I see in verse 22 where it says, so all this was done. What was done? Jesus coming to save people from their sin and Jesus coming to be with people as Emmanuel, God with us. All this was done. Jesus saving people from sin and Jesus being with people, Emmanuel. All this was done. Pastor, why are you so excited about that? Because all this was done. That phrase is in the perfect tense in the Greek. Pastor, what does that mean? I know there are different tense. There's the aorist tense. There's the present tense. But what is the perfect tense? Well, the perfect tense speaks of action that happened, but action that also has positive ramifications or results because of what happened. Perfect tense, point action and process. Point action, like dropping a rock into a pond. It hits the pond, point action, but there are ripple effects that come as a result of the rock hitting the pond. So what's going on with the perfect tense? When Jesus came into the world to save sinners and sinners say, yes, Jesus, I want you. He saves us from our sin. He becomes Emmanuel, God with us. And so there's point action that occurs that nobody can change. But because of the perfect tense, it is action that has bearings on your life, Uh, that Jesus saved you from the penalty of sin, but the repercussions, or rather should I say the ripples, he's saving you from the power of sin, he's saving you from the presence of sin, because he is a deliverer. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18, Paul talked about we are the ones who are being saved. So I am saved, and I'm being saved because I'm in the perfect tense. He changed my life. Back in 1984, and every day he's been changing my life ever since because there's this ripple of love, there's this ripple of grace, there's this ripple of truth, there's this ripple of mercy. Oh, I'm not the same anymore. I'm in the perfect tense because of a perfect love from a perfect God. All of this happened. So, what does that mean? So, you may not be perfect here, but you'll be perfect there. You may struggle with dysphoria, with fornication, with homosexuality. Some of you have been molested and hurt and you can't get past those things in your mind. But if you come to Jesus, he will save you and he will keep saving you. Not so much that you've got to get saved again, but the repercussions or the ripple of being saved will walk with you and talk with you and tell you that you belong to God. Even when you want to condemn yourself or the others condemn you, He is working in you. All of this happened. So I just want to let somebody know, don't you dare just go to the counselor. Don't you dare just go to the therapist. You better make sure you go to Jesus as well. Don't do what Asa did. Call on God. Call on God. My ancestors didn't have therapists. 
when they were enslaved. My ancestors didn't have doctors when they were enslaved. But you know what they had? An altar. And they would make an altar outside. They would make an altar in the church. And they would call on the name of Jesus because there's power in the name of Jesus. Luke chapter 1 verse 37, the angel says, with God all things are possible, that he can deliver from any sin, either instantaneously or through a process. Did you hear what I said? It is possible for God to deliver instantaneously or through a process of deliverance. So you just don't have to accept what you feel when what you feel goes against truth. You don't have to just accept what the world says and the trends that's going on out here. What does God say about you? And call on God. And if he doesn't answer, call again. Jesus said that you got to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. But a lot of us will ask, seek, and knock. And if we don't get it, we think something wrong with God. No, God is like, I can change you in a moment. But this praying is about intimacy with me because I don't want you to get your healing and then go on and act like you don't know me. But you going to get to know me as you seek, as you ask, as you knock, as you cry out to me, as you fast, as you pray, as you get folks to hold your arms up. Deliverance will occur, but stop saying what the world says about you and start saying what God says about you. And I promise you, deliverance will show up in your life. Please stand with me for prayer. It breaks my heart, especially with young people. This stuff hits young people harder than it hits any other demographic. And we have to be gatekeepers and guardians and stewards of truth and love. And I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your family tree. I'm praying for your house. And please pray for mine. God is no respecter of persons and neither is the devil. Because sometimes stuff don't hit home till it hits your home. And all it takes is just a little seed of falsehood. A little leaven to try to destroy a person's life. But are you going to be the parent that just accepts it? Or are you going to be the parent that says, no, we're not accepting this. I accept you. I, I love you. Nothing's going to change that. But we're speaking the truth in this house. And we're doing it in love. You may not want it, but we're going to give it to you. And as a pastor, it's the same thing. Do I want to make people feel good by affirming things that God does not affirm? Or do I want to take the chance and love them with truth, believing that God can set somebody free with truth? That's my job. Let's pray. Father God. As we get closer and closer to your return, there's going to be so much confusion in the culture, especially surrounding matters of sex and gender. But God, dysfunction, the name of dysfunction and dysphoria, it's not more powerful than your name. It's not higher than your name. Oh God, your name is above all names, and your name has power. The book of James says that demons tremble at the sound of your name. We just don't chant your name, but we believe there's authority in your name. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for those who are struggling and they haven't told anybody. I pray for those who may be contemplating hurting themselves because of the confusion going on in their mind and in their bodies, even in their souls. I pray, God, that you would be their deliverer, that you would be the one to set them free, that they would have a heart to seek you and not turn from you, not get angry with you, but fall in love with you and move closer to you. As it was quoted earlier today, that as we draw nigh to you, you draw nigh to us, and we have the wherewithal to resist the devil, and the devil will flee. God, it's time for us to act like the warriors that you called us to be. You said that we were good soldiers of Jesus Christ. And we've got to fight with spiritual weapons, starting with love and starting with prayer, starting with the word of God.
Even if they say we're old-fashioned. Even if they say that we think we're holier than others. No, God, this is a fight for our family, for this generation, for the church. So here we are, God. Have your way. We repent. We're sorry for believing the lies in culture. We're sorry for leaning more on our feelings and our understanding than on you. Lord, the answers in your word are simple, but our flesh does not want to obey. But Lord, that's why you call us to crucify, put to death the flesh. Father, we stand in the gap right now for children, for boys and girls who are confused, Jesus. We stand in the gap for them in Jesus' name, and we ask God, have mercy on them. Send somebody to them who can shed light into their soul. Awaken them to their purpose, which is found in you. And there's no confusion in you, oh God. And protect this church from people who would want to harass us and come down on us for daring to preach what the Bible says. We'll say thank you for persecution. We'll say thank you for it. But we won't compromise while we have compassion. If you know someone in your life, someone in your family, or maybe it's you who's dealing with gender dysphoria, someone in your family, someone in your life, or maybe, would you just raise your hand? You know someone that's struggling. Would you just raise your hand? Father, you see the hands, and above all, you see the hearts. We pray. Do the transformation, whether you do it immediately or over a process of time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll be here at the end of service. I'll pray. Amen. Let's give Jesus some praise. I, I hear that. Amen. Bible study this week. We'll start at 6.30. We'll go to 7.30. From 7.30 to 8, we will pray as a house of God. Doreen and I taught for an hour and a half last Sunday. We ain't doing that no more. So we're going to teach from 6.30 to 7.30 and pray for a half hour. Uh, let's have the house full on Wednesday night. Amen. I said let's have the house full on Wednesday night. Amen. That's when discipleship starts happening. Amen. Good stuff. I'll be here. I have some cards here. If you want to join this church, uh, I was going to say come holler at me, but some of y'all might come up and actually holler at me. Hey! No, no. Come up and talk to me. And you can join this church if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his throne with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, dominion, and majesty and power both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, come on, raise your voice. And all of God's people said, from your belly. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen means it is true. So go and live for God this week, people. God bless you. Amen. I'll be right here. Oh, boy. I almost asked you to come back and sing again. We almost went into revival. 